I'm your host, Mohamed Tahir from Kuwait, and with me today, all the way from Switzerland, our sound engineer, mixing engineer, and co-director, Marco Guardia. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Wavelength, the official Brave Wave podcast. I cannot believe that we're back. We don't support ray tracing, or do we, Marco? I don't, I don't know. I don't think ray tracing existed the last time this podcast was recorded, which is about 10 years ago or something. So, <laughs> Yeah, episode 11 was recorded in 2017. And I think for some reason, um, I I mean, editing a podcast takes... Uh, uh, Four years. Takes time and... I'm a- <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe... <laughs> And um, it's uh, it makes sense that we uh, that we get to record uh, now. I mean, we're recording in 2021, but um, we're going to be talking about a lot of the games that we played in 2020. And I think I think 2020 is uh, the game where I uh, the, the year where I played just so many games more than any other year. For I mean, for obvious yeah. reasons, we're I'm not traveling. I spend a large chunk without going to work before they like kind of force us to um, go to work, and a lot of that was just spent playing games and watching TVs and TV shows and uh, movies, but mostly playing games. And I think, or I assume, it's kind of the same for you, Marco. Yeah, it, I mean, I, I definitely played more games this year than I did uh, um, before. I, I feel like there were still long stretches where I didn't play games. But if I'm looking at my uh, that that year in review thing, or what was it like that you got from the Switch? Did you get that too? Like where it sent you like how many hours did you play? Yeah. It definitely looks like I played a lot this year. So yeah, same boat, working from home and and just having a lot more time, no traveling and stuff like that. So yeah, playing a lot more games, but also like a lot of not 2020 games, just like you, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at our lists and uh, I played way too many older games. I mean, I even hooked up my Wii U to play like... Um, Metroid Prime 1, 2, and 3, and uh, uh, it was just a lot of fun. Um, I think uh, I think maybe this is not something that you relate to, which is Animal Crossing, but I feel like Animal Crossing was kind of like the quarantine game because it released in... Did you play a lot of that? I played it for maybe two weeks every single day, and I was oh, excited, wow. and I was going to like other people's... Uh, uh, like islands and collecting stuff, and I was really into it. And then I just felt like this feels like homework. Like every day, I have to like. Uh, uh, I mean, every day in the well, every day, no, every day. Like when I start the game, I have to go and um, check the fruit. And like, there's certain things you have to. Well, not you have to. I mean, you can do anything you want, but th- there are games where. Um, the game makes you feel like you're going through a checklist, and sometimes that's yeah. fine. And for some reason, with Animal Crossing, it just felt like uh, this, this is too much. Like I'm, I'm not having fun. I'm just trying to like <clears throat> catch all the bugs and uh, catch all the fish before. Is it weird that 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 feeling of being at home? Uh, of like being home or in an environment where I just want to spend time for me was in Hollow Knight. It was like Hollow Nest. This really. Yeah. Uh, uh, alien sort of not inviting place that but for me that's that gave me that sense of like I like being alone on a quest and I just 
wanted to keep returning to that, finding every excuse to just go back and doing everything I could in that game. I think maybe what some people associate with Animal Crossing, that they do all these wholesome things I associate with just being in Hollow Knight, just being uh, in the world of, of, of Hollow Knight. It gave me that vibe. I just wanted to keep returning to that. And I think a lot of people actually maybe play open world games in the same way. And that, like, uh, today I saw one of my friends, uh, he posted a photo of Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and uh, he's been playing for 100 hours. And I feel like, and this is what he told me, like, this is the game that he returns to between games. Mm. Like, he he plays it whenever he just wants to explore and walk around, and he doesn't take it, uh, like, he doesn't explore as seriously as if he was, I don't know, playing an RPG or Hollow Knight. And I get that. I just feel like that experience of being totally immersed in an open world game, like, I felt that maybe with um, Skyrim. And I'm trying to I'm trying to think if I ever played an open world game after that, like maybe Zelda Breath of the Wild. And like every time I play these massive games, I just feel like I know what this game wants me to feel. And I just feel like I felt this like 10 years ago. And like the new, like I, I just can't, I can't forget my experience with Skyrim. So uh, that's why mostly I just feel like, okay, I'm I'm not really getting what I want from these games, but Hollow Knight definitely gave me that feeling. And uh, and you have to kind of fall in love with that world, right? I mean, you have to fall in love with the the uh, the world that um, is, is is the setting of whatever like open world game you're playing. I'm not sure Hollow Knight is probably not really uh, open world is not the right word for the kind yeah. of game it is, but you have to be really in love with the game to do that. What you mentioned before, your friend like visiting the game over and over. And I just don't see that happening for myself, for like most of the open world games that are out there. I don't feel like a lot of them have the kind of care put into them that you see in Hollow Knight. But uh, before we get into that, we should probably actually start talking about the the proper 2020 games that, that we enjoy, right? Like yeah. Before we get into other stuff. So maybe you should yeah. start with that, just telling us about how uh, uh, the games that you liked in 2020. Yeah, so... Like I said, most of the games that I played were not 2020 games. Or like, um, I played some, well, I played a lot of 2020 games, but I wouldn't put them in my like top spot. So I think, uh, I think I'm going to start with like, like my, I have three 2020 games I want to talk about. And I want to start with Dirt 5, which is a racing game. And I, I tend to say this to like all my friends who, whenever I talk about racing games and that... I don't really understand anything about cars. Uh, I only know how to drive a car. I don't... Uh, like, whenever I play, like, Gran Turismo or Forza Motorsport, sport, which is, like, both of them are, like, those simulation type of games. I like the art of it in the presentation everything, but I don't really understand what goes into, I don't know, installing new pistons or... I don't even know if you can install pistons. Just something that pops. What's, what's a head. piston? I, I don't I know. Have no doing. idea. I have no idea. <laughs> You're already ahead of me by by driving a car. Like I'm not even at the point where I have any interest in cars or ever will have. And you at least drive a car. So yeah. You know how to turn a car on. Exactly. And you know how, <laughs> know how to drive a steering wheel and how to drive yeah. a car. So that's yeah. And um, so I don't understand cars, which obviously is fine for a game like Forza Horizon or uh, Dirt 5 because those are kind of like arcade racers. Um, I think Dirt uh, traditionally is a rally game, uh, especially like the Dirt Rally games. I didn't, I didn't play them. Uh, I, I tried Dirt Rally 1 and it was just too hardcore for me. 
but th- I think the numbered series, like Dirt 4 and Dirt 5, like I could be wrong, but f- if, if, what I know is that they are just arcade racers. And um, what I liked about Dirt 5 is that it's the first game that I bought when I got my Xbox Series X. And um, even though it's a game that was released on like Xbox One and PlayStation 4, and um, it's not a game that I feel like... I don't think it supports like ray tracing or any like especially next-gen uh, uh, features, but it runs at native 4K, 60 frames, and honestly, that's enough for me when playing on the Series X to feel like, oh, this is like this feels next-gen, just because uh, um, I'm used to playing games on my PC, which is uh, usually 2K resolution and 60 frames, but I don't really like playing on my PC that much. I just like sitting on my um, sofa and just... Uh, like, I, I feel more immersed if I play on my sofa. Anyway, Dead 5, uh, uh, it was a really good experience as the first game that I played on the Series X. And what I liked about it the most, funny enough, is that it's not an open world game like Forza Horizon. Like, I played Forza Horizon before I uh, played Dead 5, um, and I still, like, I'm, I'm still playing it. But I think, I think racing games in general maybe benefit the most, uh, or they simply benefit from an open world just because um, the main like, the main thing in any racing game is that driving. And that's what you do even in an open world racer. Like, you might not be racing, but you're driving. But there's something else about a simple interface where you just have uh, races, and if you finish them, you unlock new ones. And um, I think for the horizon, like when you like go to a specific place and you initiate a race, like those are designed, but it just feels, I don't know what the right word is. It's not exactly overwhelming, but like racing in an open world game just feels completely different than racing in a, in a, in a game like Dirt 5 where you actually have a, a racetrack. And um, because it's not an open world game, it just looks really, really good, and that is usually a big draw for me, and I think for a lot of people when playing uh, a racing game where you want really good controls, you don't want to feel like um, it's a sim simulation game, uh, and you just want to feel good when driving, like everything is just going fast, and, and I, I don't really notice stuff like the level design of the tracks, it's just about how it makes me feel, and I liked like every now and then, like I would finish a game or I would play something else and then I would just uh, start Dead 5 and uh, play a few races and like every single race feels like it's just designed, which is something that I usually don't feel with just massive games, especially when you play open world games. Like I played a bunch of open world games this year and I just like almost hated like every every one of them and right. uh, just I'm just tired of of, of big maps and uh, large just uh, massive areas where most of what you do is just walk no one's there and, and it's just I, I'm over that I feel like I'm over that and um, uh, I really appreciated um, Dead 5 for just being uh, a simple arcade racer it has a lot of different modes and it's the kind of game where you just like, I mean, you can choose different cars, of course, but it's not the kind of game where you like you want to go for a specific car. It's just a fun arcade racer, um, and 
uh, yeah, I'm still not done with it. I'm still playing it. I'm still playing the career mode, but it's a, it's a, it's a game that every time I play it or like start it up between games, I just really fall in love with it. And it kind of like kickstarted this obsession that I still have with just playing tons of games just because of my excitement with, uh, with uh, getting the Series X and everything is loading fast and just running right. good. So um, that's one of my picks. And I think it's probably better to let you talk about one of your picks now. Yeah, we should probably just go back and forth. And I, and yeah. I, I wish I had something to say about the dirt. I already forgot which one it was. Five, <laughs> yes. I <laughs> almost had dirt four. Actually, I'm like, it's one of those like whatever. Because I don't play racing games. I don't know anything about them, and I don't really. Uh, yeah, it's just, you don't get yeah, it's probably. No, I don't get them. I, I don't. Yeah, and it, fundamentally, a part of it is certainly that I have. Uh, I'm not ter- interested in cars. I, I don't. I don't even. But even then, I don't even like arcade racers or or like like party uh, racers like Mario yeah. Kart or stuff like that. I'll play it once yeah. in a while. But even then, I just uh, part of it has to do with me not being a terribly competitive person. So I don't really get into mm-hmm. the whole spirit of uh, the multiplayer thing with uh, racing mm-hmm. games or with something like uh, um, Mario Kart. But anyway, yeah, um, I don't want to spend like a ton of time talking about each individual game because I think we're probably going to talk more about them later in the other segments. But for for me, my top favorite, and I hope it's not cheating, is A Short Hike just because it's released on Switch this or or in 2020, but it was actually out on PC before that, um, like in 2019 and probably even earlier versions uh, in 2018. I'm not sure, but for me, this is... Even though it's a short game, I spent three to four hours in it. And even that is like a lot based on uh, how much other uh, people spend with that game. But uh, for me, the reason why it's my my favorite game of 2020 that released in 2020 is because um, I think it's perfect. I think it's an example of a game that sets out, gets everything right that it sets out to do. And it has, it also covers... Um, funnily enough, the two big subjects we want to talk about, writing in games and open world, uh, it mm-hmm. sort of uh, fits into both of those categories because it is an open world game in a sense, and uh, uh, even though it's a small world, and it's the writing I find exceptional. Uh, and it gets both of those things right. It's a non-violent, it had, there's no combat at all. Uh, it's just about exploring an island, uh, talking to be to people, doing menial tasks, doing uh, uh, and as you're climbing a mountain, uh, all you're doing is upgrading your core ability of essentially gliding and getting higher up um, by collecting feathers. And you can spend as much time <clears throat> exploring the island and upgrading your feathers beyond what you actually need to reach the top, the the, the peak. Uh, <clears throat> you can do that. Or you can just collect the minimum amount and just go up and ignore all the NPCs or whatever you want. And to me, it is the, the quintessence of what people like to call wholesome games now. Mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily into this idea of everything is happy-go-lucky and blah, blah. Uh, when it's like really forced or it feels like it's just catering to this like... Um, Vibe, every, aesthetic. yeah. But there's something that a short hike gets right, and I'm going to be talking about that more later. And and that is, it's very it's a very sincere uh, work. It's it's it, both the writing and just 
uh, and the characters. And if you um, listen to the developer, uh, he, he had a short talk about the game at the, a, a conference, which I actually forget now what it was, but it's on YouTube. Uh, and he talked about the writing. And actually, one of the first things he said is, I think he said, I'm not a good writer. I'm not a great writer. That's not my strength. So I just tried to write what uh, made sense to me, what felt real, what I could write. And it's it's very humble of him to say that, but I actually think he is a very good writer. And part of that has to do with how unpretentious the writing is and with how it feels at every moment. Like it's not trying hard. It's funny. It's 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 Sometimes it's heartfelt and it's never trying to impress you. And it's it always feels like it's spoken by real characters, even though they're like little pixel animals, right? Yeah. And uh, it's just like my many of the other games that I enjoyed this year. It's like a pure distillation of a genre or an idea for or, or, or several an assortment of ideas for genres that are distilled to their essence. Like if you have an open world game or if you have a game, a nonlinear game set in a world that you can just explore then maybe it should be about exploration. Then maybe that's what it should be about, right? Then maybe mm-hmm. you shouldn't tag on a million other systems or things that distract from this core sense of being in that place because that's what a lot of open world games do. They give you so many things that actually distract you from the world that don't, that just make you look at the world, that make you, uh, um, that make you truly feel immersed in the world. They just, they're just distractions and they're just, or they're just busy work or like um, that are there for grinding uh, whatever stats that you have. So yeah. by sort of distilling the, the experience of just exploring a world into just enjoying that world and finding things, talking to NPCs, doing little tasks here and there, and being completely nonviolent. So you never worry about dying or anything like that. And it still feels like you're really playing a game. It's not a walking simulator. You know, like we used yeah. to say, like, it's it's just, okay, you just walk yeah. and you listen to audio logs. It's nothing like that at all. It's very, um, the controls uh, um, are, are super polished. It feels really good to traverse the world. That, that's the essence of it. It has to feel good. It has to be fun. You want to, you want the player to feel like they're, they enjoy exploring this world. So um, just by the sheer uh, um, force of this game, getting everything right that it sets out to do and being so wholesome and having beautiful music on top of it. It's another game that made me want to just stay in that world. Uh, it's it's easily just my, my, my favorite game of uh, uh, 2020. Yeah, I played it uh, because of your recommendation when you told me about it. And um, I think my favorite thing about a short hike is that, uh, and I noticed this when I like... Most of the games that I played, especially the like slightly larger ones, like any game that has some like a world where you explore, uh, and this includes like a lot of the games that I played this year. Like I'm playing Fallout New Vegas now, and before that I finished Outer Wars. Like anytime I start a game with a big world and like a lot of things in it, I am a bit overwhelmed because I don't, I still don't know what the game is about. I still remember my first hour in Outer Worlds and walking and looking at like characters that I'm talking to and I can see, um, um, you know, converse, like how my conversation can affect uh, the dialogue. But I'm, I still don't know what that means. I'm, I'm still just overwhelmed with the game itself and the mechanics and all of that. And after a while with a lot of games, you kind of like you get it. You get what the game's doing and you get what the game is about. And with a short hike... Like, 
And, and, and one thing I forgot to say, with all of that, there is usually a lot of fun because you're still discovering a lot of things and you you don't know how a lot of things are are working, but just finding things like the first few hours in, in a lot of games are usually um, interesting, at least, uh, uh, whether fun or not, that depends on your enjoyment with the game. But isn't that exactly not true for a lot of open world games, especially for the last few, the last few years where you said the first few hours are fun? Like the reason why I moved away from AAA open world games is because very distinctly, the first few hours, sometimes that goes up to five or 10 hours are not fun. And I'm talking about stuff like you're Assassin's right. Creed where you're just, it just you're feels right. like endless tutorials and the game throwing stuff at you. And, and, and it's, it's, which, which goes against what you're like a game being welcoming to me. Yeah. 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 Uh, that is something that I felt with Fallout New Vegas. Uh, like I'm, Five hours, five or four, four or five hours into the game, and I am bored. And I know that the game still has not like actually really started. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Outer Worlds, they kind of like the Outer Worlds. I feel like Obsidian kind of uh, took um, took a lot of things that were wrong with how a lot of these massive games start and just made it start right. And then afterwards, maybe you're not going to like it, but the beginning was really, really strong. Mm-hmm. All the questions, all the conversations, everything. And um, another game I remember, like I enjoyed the beginning is Ghost of Tsushima because, you know, you're just thrown into a war and uh, you get like the first one or two or like even three hours are fun. And then you kind of get to see the map and you explore and you realize that, okay, this is just... It's it's interesting. It has a lot of interesting things, but it's still a big map with icons, and you get to explore. And like I just know this whole cycle, this whole thing. So I just uh, quit that game uh, quickly. And this happens with a lot of big games where the beginning is intriguing at least, and then I quickly just lose interest. Um, and with the short hike, uh, like as, I, as as I kept like buying items and collecting things and like finding just completely new. Uh, places and characters and they like sometimes like I would go back to a character and they would like change their lines and they, they, like they would react to something maybe that I did or whatever and by the time that I'm like getting used to the game and like understanding how it works like it was done and I like that I like that it just gave me like it, it overwhelmed my feelings with a lot of things um, not 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 well Overwhelm is a bad word usually when we talk about games because uh, this is maybe a word that we use with open world games. Uh, but I like that I started the game not really knowing what the game is about. Um, and I collect, started collecting feathers. And honestly, like every single feather that I collect, like I felt really good about it because I know like it is something tangible. Like this is not like an XP that you like get to fill about. Like you get it and you immediately see how useful it is. And by the time, like, I just, like, finished everything around this uh, little island, or I I think it's everything, um, I just finished the game, and, like, it just, I'm going to use a word that you use, which is wholesome. It was just a wholesome experience, all of it. I loved all of it. I loved all the conversations, all the characters, all the little, like, side stories, and it felt like, um, like, I wish, I wish more games were like this, that took an idea and just, like, drove it to completion and stopped there instead of like repeating that for like 50 times which is how games are usually designed now and I really love that about it. The thing you mentioned is that's something that I guess it's scary especially to AAA developers and, and, and big studios that 
that's why every game is an open world game. Like why every single player game has to have everything in it because you have to appeal to every possible audience. So you, by capturing every, like, uh, by capturing, uh, capturing every possible audience, you can never uh, make one specific niche audience feel very passionate about it, but you're having everyone sort of enraptured in this for a moment or, they're going to play your 50 to one, 100 or 200 hour open world game. And it's got everything that games have. Like it's the Ubisoft game checklist of all the things that games need to have, right? And it's got, mm-hmm. it's got all that. It's got the crafting. It's got the skill tree. It's got the RPG elements. It's got the combat. It's got, it's got all those things that you want an open girl, an, an open world game to have. So uh, it, it has to sell a lot because we put everything in it and we put so much content in it now it has to sell a lot because it has to appeal to everyone so games get too big this whole thing with too big to fail right to mm-hmm. is, is like it's being able to focus maybe it's a privilege i don't know maybe it's a luxury being able to focus on one thing and just doing it well and definitely not overwhelming the player and i don't think that's something that a short hike does a short hike always felt welcoming to me and and I wanted to get every last fetter in that game. And I wanted to see everything that world had had to offer. And that didn't take me a hundred hours. That took, like I said, four hours yeah. or so. And it felt like, yeah. uh, and this is something that I said before, um, comparing it to a lot of the big games out there. I have so many of those bigger triple A games in my Steam library uh, from years ago when that's uh, one thing I used to focus on more. I'm going to name one now that is Borderlands. And apparently I played like, I don't know, 60 or 70 hours of that, uh, something like that. And I don't remember a second of that. I don't remember anything. It didn't make me feel anything that is worth holding on to. Like I forgot about that game completely. But I know that those uh, three or four hours that I spent with a short hike, they're going to stay with me. And I know that about a lot of smaller games that... What's the point of spending 50 or 100 hours uh, with a game that is not going to stay with you? That is just going it, to, it's just, it, it's just going to fade. It's, 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 it, it might be fun in the moment yeah. and I get that and entertainment and everything. But, but honestly, those four hours are s- worth so much more to me. That's why it's at the top of my list, even though I play games yeah. that are a lot longer this year. Um, but yeah, I, we keep touching on the subject yeah. of uh, like open world stuff and we should really talk about that later. So. We'll get to yeah. it. We'll get to it. One last thing I want to just like correct is that I don't mean that a short hike is overwhelming. I think it overwhelmed my, like, I don't know, overwhelmed my feelings. Mm, okay. uh, it gave me like, it just made me feel good when I was playing it. And I think, I think what I wanted to say is that sometimes, and this maybe applies for all games, you play a game and you still don't know what the formula of the game is. You're just playing. You're still discover. You're still in that discovery f- phase, and you're curious, and you're uh, stumbling on things, and you don't really know what any where anything really fits. And then you slowly start to like realize what the game is about and how leveling works and what skills are. And and what I liked about the short hike is that it ends just before you stop being curious. Like when you finish the game, you feel like you could still go on just because of like, you're you're still not done. Like nothing feels, uh, nothing feels like it has been stretched. It just feels like everything was just at the right time. And whether you played for, I don't know, whether you go for the main objective and just finish that with then, I don't know, 
two hours, mm-hmm. one hour, or you play a bit more and to talk to everyone, it's just going to feel... Yeah. It's just going to feel good. And that that is something that's not usually... It doesn't overstay its welcome, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, as my, so I talked about Dead 5. Um, the second game I want to talk about is The Last Campfire. And this game came out of nowhere. Um, you, I think, recommended it to me. You like, Or you brought it to my attention. And I think um, maybe one interesting thing about it is that it's from... Um, Hello Games, mm-hmm. which of course you know them from No Man's Sky, but this game has no relation to Man's Sky, to No Man's Sky in any way. And uh, I think Marco, maybe you know or you can talk about the developer, like the the actual people who made the game. Yeah, it's it's um, so it is Hello Games that made it, but the members apparently, at least that's what Wikipedia says. Um, uh, most of the people or all the people who worked on this are were part of. Frontier, I think, Frontier Development, uh, they, they were called mm-hmm. uh, um, a development studio that uh, made a lot of different games in the past. But most notably for me, they made the Lost Winds games and they were on uh, on Wii, on the WiiWare service. And they were actually some of my favorite games on that service. And if you've played those games, they were sort of motion control puzzle platformers. Uh, if you played those games... Uh, and you play The Last Campfire, you're immediately going to recognize that same sense of aesthetics, style, that the kind of soothing music and uh, and gameplay that is uh, focused on creating a really sort of uh, um, ethereal, beautiful atmosphere. And even the art style, there's a lot of similarities there. So uh, when I found out, like everything sort of clicked, I'm like, oh, it makes sense that the Lost Winds guys would make this game, The Last Campfire, which... By the way, yeah, it's also on my list of my favorite games that I played this year. Yeah, I think uh, it's a really, it's a really fun and engaging game, and I wish we had more games like it where you're just dropped into a world and you get so you're dropped into a world and you go and uh, unlock or reach a new area, and it's an interesting, um, um, interesting contrast between. The areas themselves, which are compact, they're not really that big. Uh, they have some, like, I don't want to, I, I don't know if I can say environmental puzzles. They're just like puzzles in the areas that you solve. And as you do that, you encounter statues. And you go to every statue and you just lump right into a puzzle that you solve. And the puzzles start uh, easy. And they ramp up in difficulty and kind of like stop at a, like a nice medium. Like, uh, I don't think, I, maybe one puzzle I kind of like struggled with and I asked you for a hint and your hint actually helped me. Uh, but aside from that one, like all the other puzzles were kind of, they were just nice. Um, it's not, uh, uh, it's not a game like I mentioned this to you. It's not like Braid where it starts um, nice and easy. And then on some of the later puzzles in Braid, a game like Braid, you could spend like over an hour just trying to like try to think how to solve it. And that's fine. Like both of them are fine. It's, just, it's a different game. It's not Braid. It's not trying to be Braid, of course. It's just uh, I think the puzzle games have this thing about them, whereas... We have a lot of granduality about like games like RPGs. You have strategy uh, SRBGs and just Japanese RPGs and Western RPGs. But with puzzle games, we don't have really signifiers for them. We just say puzzles game, puzzle games, and we, we they don't really compare. But anyway, um, I think maybe maybe you could 
call this uh, uh, an adventure game, an adventure puzzle game, or yeah. I mean, it doesn't have adventure any. It doesn't game, have any yeah. combat. Again, that's the nice thing, yeah. right? It's another combat-free yeah. game that we both like yeah. this year. But it's a puzzle game. Yeah. But I think the unique thing is that it has puzzles both. It has these environmental puzzles, like you mentioned, that uh, make you uh, that are there sort of blocking progress or that help you traverse an area and then you have to solve a puzzle. But then the actual core puzzles, they're like, you could almost compare them to the, the shrines in Breath of the Wild that you you enter yeah. a character's mind and then you solve like a, a an enclosed puzzle area and then you leave that person's mind again. So they're really distinct. Yeah. They, they, they're part of the world, but they're not like, you don't enter... It's still the same controls, the same everything. You use the same tools yeah. that you have. It's not like it's suddenly Tetris or anything like that. But um, yeah. it's sort of isolated in this specific uh, little chamber in someone inside someone's mind. You solve a puzzle, you help yeah. them, and then you leave their mind again. So that's what's kind of unique. And once you've done all of that, you move on to like a new area or you find a new area. It's, it's, it's not... So there's yeah. still a setting. There's still a world that you traverse and you go from one setting to another one. Yeah, yeah. And um, one very interesting thing about the game is that the game has narration. Mm. And I think, uh, and of course you brought this to my attention, uh, is that the narration is, here's the funny thing, it's not bad, it's just I think it's like creatively, I think it's such a mismatch. It is. Because you told me to like play with the narration and the narration is like kind of like um, not good. And when I... When I just turn down the volume of the narration, uh, and I mean, the text in the game is just big, and the game is kind of designed to be played without narration, just fine. And I not only do I did, did I not lose anything by like turning off the narration, it made the experience so so much richer and deeper, because I think the narration is kind of and. Uh, this was your point, and I can, I can't stop thinking about it. Is that the narration makes it feel kind of like a kid friendly game? Like uh, it makes it feel kind of like a storybook kind of. Uh, it doesn't help that that the, the the narrator actually she sounds like a kindergarten teacher. That's what I said, and uh, I, yeah. I'm, I mean I mean, I don't want to diss it too much, but for me, it's just like I think the writing is actually quite decent in this game, right? And actually feels sometimes yeah. like it has something to say and it's actually fun to read. Yeah. And and the narration just fills in gaps that that shouldn't be filled in. Yeah. And I think sometimes they change the tone of the of the the writing. Uh, um, and it's skewed in this in, into this it, it skews it into this sort of fairy tale uh kindergarten realm that it doesn't really belong it doesn't feel like that at all once you turn down yeah. the, the 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 voice yeah. uh it feels like very, something very different so that's why I, I would recommend just just turning it all the way down and just reading the text you don't actually lose story it's just really the voiceover uh, so all the text is still there yeah. and you can read it and you don't lose anything at all uh, i genuinely think it makes like if i played with the narration i don't think it would be uh like my top two games mm -hmm. that I played this year because turning of the narration the text, I mean it just made me realize how when we talk about you know bad writing or like writing that doesn't gel with you it really is not just about the writing, it's everything in games, it's the writing and the voice acting and the animation 
and just just all of these things working together. And when you turn off the voice acting, I mean, this this could apply to so many games, but especially in this game, when you turn off the voice acting, you're just laser focused on the quality of the writing. And I think the writing is really like it affected me a lot, and in a lot of cases, it just made me like think and. I think it walks a fine line between not being too preachy, but still have like having something it wants you to feel uh, or specific feelings like it, it, it tries to uh, talk about. And uh, I feel like like one step too far and could feel like just a boring exposition. And, and this this is this is usually why I feel like exposition, not just in games and everything and like all kind of storytelling is just exposition kills a lot of momentum for me when it comes to feeling um maybe you should mention the kind of storytelling that is in maybe you should talk a little bit about the kind of storytelling so that the people understand what it is what kind of story the game is trying to tell or what the subject matter is so you start the game by kind of like accidentally uh being left on your own from your group of friends on a boat and it becomes kind of a journey of of course discovering your path and trying to like know what to do and trying to understand the world around you and also trying to help other people uh, help other people with their issues and their problems and um, in a lot of cases um, the writing um, just maybe because the writing talks about issues honestly I don't think these issues are specially filled by me I think these are maybe universal issues that everyone or a lot of people feel about um, uh, about uh, you know not knowing your place in the world and uh, wanting to do good to other people and um, trying to find yourself and trying to find your place and trying to actually move on from in my case you know from being living in Kuwait, my country, to like the subject that has been in my mind for a long time, which is just moving on, like, like settling in a different country and just finding a new life for me. And the game through it, honestly, it's, it's not a lot of written text. Like it is so much less than all of the, like any RPG I played. And it like it delivers its point just so much better. Uh, like, like, All the RPGs that are like, especially Japanese RPGs, um, they have just a massive amount of text and they usually like have a thesis, but they hammer the point, like every point they have, like they hammer it like 200 times to the point where you're kind of like sick of it and it starts to feel like an, like a, an anime instead of like something poignant and something that just hits you. Uh, like in the fields and that's what happened to me in the game and like by the end of it and I don't remember the last time this happened to me like by the end of it I just like put the controller down and I was crying and this just does not happen with like usually usually movies TV shows and games try to elicit these feelings by I don't know like a blood twist like like big things that like shock you and this game was not doing any of that it was just like it was moving at its own base nothing too surprising happened like nothing crazy happens it's just the writing was so good that it just affected me that much and that is i feel like the kind of writing that i wish to uh find more in in not just games but tv shows and movies which is something that just reaches to the depths of your soul and just makes you feel something without being too preachy without like making it feel like you know you watch um uh and anything that that's big budget and anything that's made for everyone and you can 
you can tell what they want to tell the audience and then you play something like this and you can it just touches you differently uh just very different from any uh from something that you would get from you know big budget big media it feels very personal and um i really loved it uh, and i have to stress if you want to play this game if you want to feel like at least part of what i felt you really need to just turn off the narration because i think it works against the game uh and i think um it just works so much better with just just you reading and just completely silent and immersed with the music and the feelings of the game instead of having like some kind of like uh an expository narrator just hammering the point of the text in front of you but i really love the yeah. game and i i um I don't think I'm going to have like a, an emotional experience similar to it uh, anytime soon. It, it's just a rare experience for me to have this connection with the game, like emotional connection with the game. Yeah. Uh, maybe uh, um, because it's also on my list, I'm really briefly going to touch on this and then move on my, the, the next game in the list. And that is, um, I also really enjoyed The Last Campfire. I think in terms of writing, Uh, uh, this is the game that resonated with you more. And for me, it was a short hike that resonated yeah. with me more in terms of the writing. Mm -hmm. But I, I do have to say there's definitely certain things that in this game that I also um, connected with. And <clears throat> it's a game that it, it sort of, uh, um, it, it, it goes uh, over that point of like people being, Or it's set in a fairy tale world, sort of, right? So there's these 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 beings, uh, and you find them, and they're sort of in this this state of of uh, um, but they're like petrified or they're like frozen in time or something, and you have to enter their minds and help them by solving like Zelda style puzzles in their minds. And the story yeah. that it actually tells is that somehow these people got lost or they got stuck in a problem and it's metaphorically lost. Like uh, the idea is that they couldn't solve a personal issue. They couldn't, uh, uh, they feel lost in, in, in their mind. They have some uh, mental health problems or they have some issues with themselves that they can't resolve. So they're stuck. So they're stuck inside their minds and you go in. And the idea is that as you play through a puzzle, uh, the narration or the text will tell you what this, this being felt or why it's stuck in this. So basically you solving the puzzle is unlocking their personal uh, inhibitions or whatever it is that is keeping them in this mm -hmm. state. And the game will talk about that a lot. And sometimes it's a little bit on the nose. Sometimes it's not always like super subtle, mm -hmm. but it can, it still feels sincere. And my personal uh, um, favorite parts of this, funnily enough, were when you uh, meet uh, sort of halfway through the game, you come upon characters that you cannot help. Like they will sit there and they oh look exactly like the other guys that are sort of frozen that you can approach and enter their minds. And when you try, the game will tell you that this person or this being cannot be helped because they're not ready yet to like receive your help because they're stuck. They haven't found, mm -hmm. they're, 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 they, they're not yet willing to accept your help or they're still not sure that they need help or Or, or they're lost uh, for the time being or something like that. And I found that touching because you can you, you find more and more beings like that. And the way the game talks about like why these beings cannot accept you to enter their minds, it's there's no mechanical gameplay thing and you don't unlock that later in the game. No, it's simply 
these 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 beings sitting in the world and they're not ready for your help yet. And I think the way it formulates that, the way the writing goes about saying that, I found that very touching. Like the way it tells you, look, you oh. might be able to help a lot of people, but some of them are not ready for your help or not everyone can be helped. And the point it makes with that is a little bit more subtle than the rest. And I think that... That's when I discovered that there's 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 some nuance in this writing that you don't see uh, in a lot of games because it doesn't really beat you over the head with it and it's 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 uh, very uh, uh, sincere about it. Uh, so that's that's part of the writing in this game that I really enjoyed. And again, with the narration turned off, it just feels like it makes that point yeah. a lot stronger. Yeah, um, my favorite thing is. I mean, every like every like sometimes you would be walking and you would see like a statue like from a certain angle and you know you you would immediately think oh this is a puzzle for me to go mm-hmm. and solve and you try and just find a way to go to that statue and solve it so every time you go to a new area you're just always looking for statues to solve so when you see one of those statues and you go and and like frozen like this frozen being and you go and uh, try to interact with it with the intention or the expectation of finding a puzzle and then you see that they cannot accept your help like they they just not at a place where they can accept your help like I, I like i tried to like walk around and try to like maybe there's a way to activate it and then you realize that this is not a puzzle game where oh if you get like a hundred percent you can get, come yeah. back to those beings like it's it's not gamified this way and, and this is really so artful about it uh, this is not about collectibles. This is this. It's totally not about that. It's just about like, just telling you something. Like it wants you to feel something, and I just love that so much. Um, uh, and and these subtle things that that you you know as a designer can do, really just uh, I feel like it walks. It's not even walking a line. It's just it just elevates this from being a nice a nice adventure puzzle game to just something that goes a bit deeper than that um i just really love that so much yeah i agree and and actually jumping from that to a game that has also affected and meant a lot to me um 2020 but that i would have to say does not have good writing and that is the pathless and i'm almost inclined to say uh you know what um just ignore the writing because it's easy to ignore it um I've actually read some reviews that have specifically complained about the story and the writing, and they 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 take that as a reason for why um, they don't like the game or they give the game a low rating or something like that. But uh, for me, it didn't really matter because I I didn't feel like the game was about that uh, because I don't have high expectations in general for writing or storytelling in games. And the Pathless is. Um, a game that I just enjoyed. I enjoyed every minute of that game. I, I, I enjoyed it tremendously. And it feels like uh, uh, the writing is, and the story, it feels a little tacked on and it feels, it doesn't feel very necessary, I think. So if I'm offending the the the, the writers and developers of the game, I'm sorry about that because I think it might mean something to people. Like it, it, there's some there's some spiritual connotations and there's a lot of talk about, uh, um, so there's a lot of like high concept talk about uh, things like, I don't want to say chosen ones, but uh, I don't know. They use all these high fantasy words and really cliched expressions to tell a very 
general abstracted story that has to do with spiritualism and finding your path and and and, and uh, what is it or being pathless or finding your own path in the world and and some uh godlike being that gives people like guides people through life or through their path and how maybe that's not a good thing and they have to find their own path but it's done in such an all-around way and with such a sledgehammer approach that it never feels like it's saying anything it's just giving you the barest of ingredients of of this kind of um sort of cliched high fantasy writing that i, I never connected with it. it it just felt like flavor text the entire time to me so mm -hmm. but that's not very important because i think the pathless is a great game and you should play it i made a great case for that just now i realized that but it's actually uh, <laughs> not something that matters because what it is is um, I said this on, 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 on Twitter at one point. I think it's maybe an open world game for people who don't like open world games. And I say that because mm -hmm. um, there's no... So the game doesn't really have a traditional map. So you're never going to be looking at a map. Um, but you're going to use your sense. And that might be a little bit of a video game cliche. As you traverse the world, you, you, get, you have the sense that highlights important things in the world. Uh, from afar, you can just, just sort of see them glow or have different colors. So you sort of know where to go. But I think that's a much, much better solution than having you stare at a map. Because the different areas in this uh, game are um, are pretty big. And the joy of um, being in this wor world is the traversal, mainly. There's very little combat and you can't actually really die in the game again. Uh, there is an element, there is a small, the tiniest stealth element to it. Uh, the, there's small stealth sections and there's actually boss fights. There's some really big boss fights, but it's funny that there's these big, epic Zelda Shadow of the Colossus like boss fights in which you can't actually die. And it's funny how that works. I don't want to spoil too much about why that works, but they really pull it off. Mm. Um, and But the core of the game is traversal. Not so much even exploration. Uh, it's fun exploring the world and finding things. And that's what it's all about. Like finding, uh, just unlocking everything. In a sense, you could go into a new area and you could just unlock the three towers, I think it is. And once you've you collected enough things, I'm not good. I don't want to spoil everything, but to get those towers, mm -hmm. then you can unlock uh, uh, the boss fight and then move on to the next area. But, but in reality, there's a lot more puzzles and there's a lot more, um, again, fetters, which is funny. It's just like in a short hike that you can unlock. And they do actually, a, they even do a similar thing. Like they upgrade your character in a very similar way that they do in a, a short hike. So you spend a lot of time flying with your eagle companion through the world and just exploring things. And for me... Um, the thing that they did so well in this game is that the traversal, exploring, and just uh, uh, um, finding things in this world is tied to combat mechanics without actually using combat. So you have your bow, you have your bow and arrow, and you shoot these spirit eyes or whatever that are all around the world. And when you shoot them, they will boost you or elevate you. Sort of. So your goal is you run and traverse really fast in this game and you just point your bow at these uh, at these eyes and it'll boost you forward so the idea is that you you're constantly in a constant combo uh, of of 
So do you aim like do you aim with an analog stick or, or does it like automatically locks on? It's pretty much an auto aim. So there's oh, that's nice. There's tons of you, you never actually have to do any manual aiming in the game, but there's tons yeah. of these yeah. eyes. There's just it's just about momentum, just keeping your momentum. Yeah, you the, the idea is just that you keep your momentum going like as for as long as you can. Mm-hmm. It's fine if you slow down, but it's just there's no combo meter. There's no reward for that. It's just about like it makes you feel good and you can go through the world like super super fast if you just string together one arrow shot after another like into these eyes and you just uh, blast through the world essentially and you never feel like you need a map because traversal eventually gets so fast you upgrade and you 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 can fly so high and you just you use your own senses and you use your spirit sense in the game to traverse and it's such a refreshing thing being able to go through a world that is so that feels really vast and you never need to think about bringing up a map or looking at a mini map or anything like that mm-hmm. and that's what i really enjoyed and really mm-hmm. all you do in this game is you find little shrines you find little places that organically weave puzzles into the world towards the end they can get a little repetitive but honestly i didn't mind because they're not hard puzzles i have to say most of them are quite easy there's a couple of uh, more difficult ones but just the act of solving the puzzles is mechanically a lot of fun. The way you use your eagle and your arrow to uh, um, move things around. Um, I think the game could have used uh, some more unique puzzles or some way to change up the puzzles towards the end. But since they're so fun and they're they're relatively easy to solve, I, I didn't really mind that too much. And... It's really just about exploring the world and finding the puzzles and finding upgrades to make traversal more fun. And I like that feedback loop that doesn't feed into some sort of statistic that has nothing to do with the core mechanic. But really, all the things you find in the game are always tied to, or almost always tied to um, upgrading your core mechanic, which is traversal. So like, it's a game about a big world and it actually is about traversing that big world. I think it's more about traversal than exploring, but there's mm-hmm. a little bit of both. And again, it's distilling this, distilling this experience of traversing an open world that um that appeal to me so much that you make it about that mm-hmm. and forget about all the other systems. Forget about the RPG elements. Even forget about combat. There's no there's no combat out of those few boss battles in the game. So uh, um Focusing so much on that, you as a player, it also makes you as a player feel like you don't need to think about anything else. You understand this is the core of what the game is. So you don't spend time worrying about other systems or about upgrading this or about getting a quest. Or There's no quests. There's no anything like that. Mm-hmm. You are pretty much free to just follow organically uh, uh, um, through your your track through the game by unlocking towers and unlocking or, or um, upgrading your abilities. And that's what I like so much. It's, it's a game that is immediately, it's, it's another pick up and play things. You, you learn it really quickly, organically, it has a great tutorial section, a little tutorial world that explains the mechanics really well. And um, uh, yeah, that's basically it. It's, it's, I'm not a big fan of open world games, but this game really, really appealed to me. I think I put time did i put in maybe between 12 out like 12 hours or so 
or was it only eight hours? I actually don't remember exactly, but it doesn't really matter. It felt like a good chunk of time for for something that um, gave you a full experience without demanding like a hundred hours. To, yeah, to exactly. Play. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right on with that. Also, if you're playing a drinking game right now, every time I say traversal, you can take a shot <laughs> to go back now because. I mean, I, I think you said that a lot just because. Like, I can't even think about open world games where exploration and traversal is part of the core gameplay experience. Because, yes, of course, every open world game wants you to explore. But, like, is it really exploring? Like, exploring a Metroid Prime world or area is completely different than exploring, like, an open world that is just open world, you know? Mm -hmm. Just has massive uh, lands and tons of icons. And I don't... I don't consider that like exploration in open world games. Whereas with this game, it feels like exploration is actually a core uh, uh, experience mm-hmm. of the game. It, uh, it like it employs that well. Whereas other games just you know kitchen sink, put mm-hmm. everything, big world, tons of items. You can steal a cup and you can steal a plate. And what does that mean? Yeah. Like, who knows? Whereas this game just employs it True. differently. And uh, yeah, I want to just mention quickly that the last campfire i think it took me like eight hours to finish um a short hike we said like it's about like four hours could be less but like took us both four hours and uh uh, i I like that i mean sometimes i'm in the mood for a big game but i really love when a game just gives you a full experience like you finish it and you feel like completely satisfied and it didn't like suck 50 40 hours out of you Uh, it's fine if games do that just not all the time um before I talk about Hades, like I feel like a complete idiot for missing like one of the most important things about Dirt Five, like the racing game that I talked about at the beginning, which is like I feel like whoever is listening to this podcast, like they should know that I was like being a complete idiot for missing this, which is <laughs> one of the most exciting things about Dirt is that uh, when you're racing, it could be sunny, and you know racing games usually like you're playing like three laps so you start sunny uh, daytime um and it's uh, just a pleasant weather and then like as you like as you finish the race like from the beginning to the end the weather changes dramatically it could go from sun to like rain and overcast and uh, you know you finish the first lap and you go the second lab, and it, I mean, it's it's the same racetrack, but the weather and the water and all of that just makes it feel different and makes it, I mean, a lot of games, a lot of racing games, the dynamic weather, but the way this game does it is just very satisfying and very thrilling. And it, like for the first time in a while, a racing game did not make me feel like, oh, I finished the first lab, like let's do the second and the third, because every lab, not always, but mostly feels like you're going to experience something new, you're going to see something different. And that was just really exciting. And um, I think it's important to say that Codemasters Cheshire, the studio that made this game, um, they are comprised of uh, members who previously worked on games like Onrush and MotorStorm and Drive Club, like the, the studio that Sony used to work with. I don't know. If, I, I think Sony owned that studio who made who made uh, MotorStorm and then they just kind of like... Um, I don't know if they sold it or Codemasters bought it, but I'm just glad that those people or maybe a large chunk of them are still working because they, they just keep making my favorite kind of racing games. Arcadey, just fun racers, but uh, just wanted to mention that real quick. Anyway, my uh, maybe my pick for Game of the Year, like I'm, I'm, 
first of all, I don't really care what my game of the year is. It's just about like, is it, like making this list was just about finding 2020 games that I loved a lot. The last campfire, when I finished it, I felt like, like this is it. Like this is like a game that makes me feel this way. Like uh, I felt the same way about Braid when I finished it. Like it was uh, uh, at a time where like games are trying to like, be much bigger and just have everything. And suddenly you have a small, uh, in comparison, like small puzzle game that also took my breath away and it was my favorite. Uh, um, so if I was going, by the way, games made me feel this year, I think uh, The Last Campfire is my game of the year. But when it comes to like being absorbed in a game, uh, I think Hades is my pick, which is actually surprising for me as well because I hate, or I used to hate, roguelikes or roguelites. Um, I played a bunch of them. Um, I remember the last game that I maybe kind of liked was Dead Cells, but uh, and I, I think I got up to the final boss, or what I thought was to be the final boss in Dead Cells, and it was just a wall. I felt like I hit a wall and I just did not know how to progress, and maybe maybe the only way to progress if like if I, if my skills hit their limit is to just, you know, how these roguelites are uh, uh, designed, which is just grind a lot, uh, up, unlock some things to make your game easier, and uh, Hades does have that as well. It's not a roguelike game like Spelunky. Um, uh, it's just a roguelite where you, if you die, you restart from the beginning, but y- some of the things that you collect, you still retain, and you still get to uh, spend on unlockables and upgrading your character and getting new weapons and all of that. <clears throat> and I think, I think what makes uh, or what made Hades click for me is how when you're done with a run and maybe this depends on how much you like the character and the world but when you're done with a run like every time like I, I died um, and that's like that's how I spent most of the game just dying um, I was actually excited to return to the house and just go talk to characters and give them gifts and uh, and I have to stress I hate Persona like Persona is not my kind of RPG I don't like games where you, like you have relationships and like you maintain characters and like you you reach like a specific link and I really don't like those just because they overwhelm me not not because of anything else like the gameplay usually like the battle system of Persona is fine but games where you do dating and just gift gift characters and all of that is not my thing but I don't know why I I enjoy that loop in Hades where uh, I'm, I'm at the house, I talk to people, give them things and keep hearing new dialogue, which for the first time I felt like I was playing a roguelite that kind of has a story that's continuing, like death, like the death of my character is part of that story. And I think they did that in an interesting way. Maybe all roguelites kind of like try to involve um, the death of your character as like into the... Uh, story Rogue Legacy, like a quite an old game by now, uh, does that as well. If you die, um, well, I didn't play that game uh, that much, but from what I remember, like if you die, you play like the descendant of of the character that was just killed, and you retain some of the abilities, stuff like that. So, other games try to do that, but I think Hades just felt like an RPG in that sense. You have tons of characters, you just talk to them and give them stuff, and you hear their conversations. And I got surprisingly invested in those characters and just felt fun. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, once again, I'm not someone who is into any of those mythologies, uh, uh, like any, any, any mythology that has like tons of characters, they 
tend to just overwhelm me and I feel lost. Uh, but I think they, um, the way they introduce all these characters and how they relate to you is just fun. But of course, um, the main thing is the gameplay. And I just like the gameplay. It's, it's as simple as this. Uh, aside from the game feeling good to play, um, I liked how, like, the game is kind of like designed to entice you to keep playing. And you see a lot of people who like, civilization fans or uh, uh, in my case endless space too like you would con- constantly say to yourself like just you just want to play for one more turn and uh, that is like a famous for those massive strategy games that take like eight hours to finish a game uh, but i felt that with hades the most um, uh, and i haven't felt that since endless space Two, like in i don't know 2016 which is just like every time i'm done with a game and i die i thought well let me just talk to all the characters, give them everything that I need to give and kind of like stop there. And then I do that and I go to pick a weapon because before you like before you go like back to the dungeon, you have to pick a weapon. And when you get to unlock all the weapons, six weapons, like uh, there's a bonus, like kind of like bonus gems, like 20% more gems. Uh, uh, some of the weapons just have that. Uh, if you just finish the game with the spear, and you, you go back to enter the dungeon again, uh, maybe the bow is going to have like this 20% in basically items. And that that made me like every single, or mostly every single time, I would um, uh, pick the open that has this increase. And that made me uh, good at all the opens, made me enjoy them a lot because I'm the kind of person who would prefer to just stick to what I like. Uh, um, like in, in Outer Wars, I had so many weapons and I just, I, I just, I, I like shotguns, like in general, in shooters, like who doesn't like shotguns? So I just stuck to those. Um, whereas in here, like I kept uh, changing weapons and then every weapon has like different aspects. So it had, it had like a different mode. Um, so I felt like that loop of just unlocking different aspects and um, seeing more of the characters in the story uh, just for some reason just captivated me more than other roguelites, and whereas other roguelites usually I hit a wall in them that I feel like I just, I'm just tired of the grind and I feel like I can't do this anymore. I did not feel that with Hades. Like I finished it maybe 20 times. But you ended up playing in God mode, right? Did you ever finish it without God mode? Uh, Yeah, the first few times without God mode. And then I said, well, I want to try God Mode. I want to see what it's like. And it's just, God Mode turns Hades from a very brutal game to yeah. something that's more chill. And maybe maybe that's why I kept finishing it more and more and just playing more because I felt like I want to play it. Like, I, want, I, I, I can't play without it. I would probably die at like the final boss a lot. But something about God Mode is that when you turn on God Mode, and I wish more games like had this uh, care put into those like easier options, and that enemies deal twenty percent less to you, but everything else stays the same. It's the same gameplay, the same everything. Uh, the boss doesn't have less attacks. Uh, you're not suddenly powerful. It's just about them doing less damage uh, to you. And if you die, that percentage gets bumped two percent more. So becomes 22% less damage and then 24 and 30 and all of that. So I feel like it's an interesting way to let someone mm-hmm. experience the game just with um, 
in, in a way that doesn't feel like you're playing in a handicapped or easy mode because like I still remember um, Mega Man's easy right. modes like they cover the spikes and they do things that make yeah. you feel like you're not getting the full experience but at least with Hades you're seeing everything like you're seeing all the attacks everything it's just that you can stand longer and that makes it feel for me like more of a chill game like whenever I just want to like play around like just want to have fun really um, and challenge can be fun obviously I mean uh, we're going to talk about Hollow Knight in a bit and uh, Hollow Knight is just a very challenging game but sometimes you just want to have fun differently especially me and that was a lot of fun so uh, Hades maybe was the game that made me feel like oh maybe I can be into roguelites like this genre that I used to think that I hate like maybe it's just that I didn't play ones that or maybe like just just in my mind, I was convinced that I just do not like these games. And Hades made me feel like, well, maybe I'm not going to find another Hades, but maybe I can try to accept the genre. It still deals with mechanics and things that I just really try to avoid, which is stuff that requires grinding and playing for 20, 30 hours. And that's that's just too much. I mean, I played Hades for 70 hours, which is way too much. Uh, but of course, it was not it was not like in, in one go. It was just throughout the year. Um, um, so at least it did something for me, which is like made me open my mind about maybe giving the genre a, a real chance. Sometimes, if like if someone now recommends me a roguelite game, right. I'm not gonna immediately cross it off like I usually do. I'm just gonna like be open-minded about it. But you know, the grind is just part of the game, and if like if you don't enjoy the dungeons a lot, like playing and. The, trying the different weapons and all of that. And if you, maybe if you don't enjoy the story that much, I can see how someone could feel like, uh, you know, uh, it's just the way it, other roguelites would make you feel, which is you hit a wall and you feel like that's it for me. I think it's not even, maybe it's not even about hitting a wall. Like, unlike you, I played, I don't know, I played maybe 25 to 28 hours of Hades. And that still seems like a lot because it's more than I played uh, oh, that's a lot. Uh, many other games this year. And it's not on my top uh, list of top games. I had yeah. fun with it, but I think uh, ultimately for me, it had probably the exact mm-hmm. opposite effect, what you're describing. Like I was, I played more, I'm not like super into the genre, but I played more roguelites in the past and I've enjoyed some of them quite a bit. I also used to play Spelunky and stuff like that. And um, the thing yeah. about Hades is that uh, obviously I totally understand it because I put 25 hours into it, why people loved it so much and why it's on everyone's game of the year list. And I have a huge respect for it because it does play tremendously well. And among all those great design uh, elements uh, and just the gameplay in general and the core loop that it does so well, it's funny, maybe a little thing is one of the biggest and most important uh, design decisions. And that was to do that weapon boost that you mentioned, like with the 20%, is it the 20% or 10% boost? I don't remember for, for, yeah. for, a, for a weapon each, each uh, new round. Mm. I don't know if they borrowed that from another roguelite, uh, roguelike, because I'm not really uh, familiar with enough probably, but just the fact that it uh, incentivizes mm-hmm. you to really um, use a different weapon each round makes a tremendous difference because what other incentive are you going to give the player to um, to really use each weapon? Because what what often happens with these types of games is like, oh, I, this is the weapon I like. Screw every other weapon. I'm not going to bother with them. Uh, and this really forces you to 
uh, 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 grapple with each strengths and weaknesses uh, and 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 find all the, and, and get all the different upgrades and all of those things. So that's maybe its biggest achievements because it forced me to do that. Like and and I really enjoyed that part. I still the wall that you see. I didn't hit a wall because I thought I wasn't making any progress, but I still got to a point where I thought like, well. I'm still unlocking things and I'm, I feel like I keep getting further and everything, but it still feels like a grind. And what a lot of people have said mm-hmm. is that, oh, if you don't like the, the writing, yeah. then why are you even playing? And that seemed strange to me. Or like, if you don't like the characters and the writing and, and I guess I'm indifferent to the characters and the writing. That's the best I can put it. Cause I, um, mm-hmm. I don't find any of it. Mm-hmm. terribly compelling or interesting or, or, and, and, and I love Greek mythology actually. And, 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 but there's, um, I get it. Mm-hmm. I like, it's probably wrong to say, I don't see why people are into it because I, I see the character interactions and the, the flamboyant and cool characters and they have the really distinct personalities and everything. Uh, I understand why people like it, but it's nothing that ever mm-hmm touch me or move me on a personal level or where I thought like, wow, I really think this character is cool or I want to bond with this person. Mm-hmm. I certainly was not looking forward to uh, the dialogue that I was going to have with anyone uh, uh, after any of my deaths because I don't find them terribly compelling uh, as as characters. So for me, it's really about the core game- gameplay, which is, yeah. yes, which yeah. is really great. But Actually, if anything, this game probably put the nail in the coffin for roguelites for quite a while for me because I I uh, I realized that once I don't once I feel like the game has sort of given me everything it has to offer, or I don't really want to be in this world. There's nothing about the world that I find compelling except for the gameplay, and then I feel like the gameplay has given me everything. I just didn't see any point in sticking with it. I felt like, okay, I've played 25 hours, which is already a lot. I felt really addictive for a while, but then there were so many other games I wanted to play and I'm kind of glad I moved on because the thrill and the adrenaline of playing the game, that's what stuck with me. But outside of that, not a lot. And I get why people would play this for a hundred hours, but I'm glad I moved on to other games. Yeah. Uh, And to me, it's like, okay, maybe the roguelites are not really for me anymore. I want a game to 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 show me everything that it has to offer and i'm willing to put up to to put 40 50 hours into a game but once i feel like i'm just repeating myself over and over and grinding and you don't want to feel a grind playing the same thing just to get a little better uh, I, I i maybe i'm just over that or maybe i'm just yeah. over that for now and i'll get back into it but at the moment i'm not feeling that kind of gameplay yeah. loop anymore yeah 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 i completely get it i think I think I've felt a grind in every single one of those. And it's funny. I think I would like roguelites more than roguelikes because in roguelites, um, since you get stuff to unlock things and upgrade, it makes it feel like I'm putting a dent into the game. Whereas roguelikes like Spelunky, and I'm a huge fan of Spelunky. Sadly, I didn't play enough of Spelunky 2. That is definitely on my 2021 like playlist. But... Um, Spelunky, I remember when I was playing it and I like the first time and like uh, I badly wanted to unlock the shortcuts so I can immediately start from more two or more three. And then you realize that if you start from more three, actually, you're going to reach the final boss. 
mm-hmm. with not a lot of items, barely anything, and it's gonna really hurt you. So, do you really want to start from World Four? And when I realized that, I kept playing Spelunky just from the beginning every time, mm-hmm. and you retain nothing. Yep. You just start from zero every time, and it's just a, a game about skill, uh, about your skills, and just seeing. I think what Spelunky does well is that it is actually not just about skills, it's just about learning how everything works, yeah. how the enemies interact and how everything works. And that is a completely different experience than playing a roguelite. Like they might share the same name, like except with one different character. But I think the experience of playing Spelunky or Hades or Dead Cells is just completely different because you're just dealing with just different, Different play styles and different, like the grind is completely different and what you feel is just different. So I really get it because once you feel the grind and you feel like I'm really not enjoying that, it's just really difficult to justify putting more time. And that has always been the problem of uh, roguelites for me. But I, uh, I completely get it. I completely get where you're coming from. Okay, so my last game, uh, uh, my list is, um, maybe this is, Again, cheating. I feel like I'm always cheating with these. Uh, is Mario Galaxy, and I'm mentioning Mario Galaxy specifically because obviously it was part of the um, uh, Mario 3D All Stars release. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really care enough about the other games. I haven't played them long. Sunshine or 64, but it is a re-release of an older game, but it holds up so tremendously well, and it is uh, probably my favorite 3D Mario up there with. Um, Mario 3D Land on a 3DS. Um, there isn't, <clears throat> I don't even want to say about anything about it or, or not too much about it. It's just, it has amazing level design. It's, 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 it's a joy to play. It's thankfully it doesn't follow the open world sandbox trope that Odyssey did, which I really didn't like. Uh, it's just a joy to play from moment to moment. For, for me, Mario Galaxy is like one of the crowning achievements of, uh, 3D Mario design uh, from Nintendo, and I'm just glad we got a re-release. Even though it was, I know it was the bare minimum we could get, but honestly, uh, I don't mind. I don't even mind playing the full price again for uh, just this one game. Like it's a collection, but I'm only gonna be playing this one because it's just really worth it. It's just um, there's there's no other games out there like this, and we don't really get these types of games anymore. So I think it's. Um, if you want to experience top tier 3D platforming level design, no nonsense uh, uh, 3D platforming, then uh, Mario Galaxy is your best bet. It's one of the best uh, games, I think. Yeah, I didn't play it a lot this year. I did buy the collection and I don't know where I got, but I finished it, obviously. <clears throat> I finished it back then. And when I finished it, like... Um, you know, sometimes you finish games and like your inner monologue, like you just like think to yourself, like is, like, is this my favorite game? Like, is this my favorite game of all time? And just having this 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 um, dialogue between me and myself is usually a sign that what I just played is just really just exceptional, really good. And, and when I uh, played Mario Galaxy this year, I didn't get far, but like every single level was just unique and just unique gimmicks and unique level design and unlike Odyssey for example which is a game that I 
truly disliked. And I like a lot of people, funny enough. Like, a lot of people think Mario Odyssey is like, I don't know, maybe a return to form. But to me, Galaxy is what represents what I like in just platforming games in general. There is no sandbox-ish type of design. It's just concentrated um, uh, level design that is just about you... Um, well, it's difficult for me to uh, explain why I find Galaxy's level design um, uh, more uh, impactful. Just um, uh, Odyssey, you know, Odyssey is not an open world game. It's not GTA, but you spend a lot of time just, you know, walking and like, quote unquote, exploring. And to me, that's not what I like about Mario games in general. And maybe... Maybe because I'm more of a 2D Mario fan, I just like to play levels that feel like every part of them is just expertly designed and not like a playground where I can just explore. And that's probably my issue with a lot of games. And Galaxy just nails that. And I just, I love it for that. And I need to pick it up uh, this year and actually finish it one more time. But I just, I love it. And I, it's such an obvious pick for a, like a game of the year, uh, uh, like ranking, and um, yeah, completely agree with you here. So I think we already talked a lot about the games that we played, and funny enough, we still have, I mean, originally we, we planned to talk about other games, like other non-2020 games that we played, but I think uh, it's probably better to shift to the other topic, which will include some of the games that we played um, in 2020. And the topic is something that you and I, Marco, talked a lot uh, about this year when playing all the different games that we're playing, and that is writing in games. And what, ma what makes what makes good writing? Um, uh, we took a break just now, and I was thinking about something like, um, you know, Six Feet Under uh, TV show where it just it puts you in the shoes of all these character and it's, uh, characters and it's a very down-to-earth show. But, you know, you can't look at an example of a TV show and movie and think, well, this is what makes good writing and everything else is not. Because we just talked about the way uh, writing was done in The Last Campfire and it has nothing to do with realism. It has, it has nothing to do with uh, the way, um, you know, uh, Six Feet Under portrays its character. So I think... Uh, as I like, as I just in my life in general try to find what kind of writing that I enjoy in all my different uh, media, but especially in games, I'm realizing that it's not one formula that you look for in games. It's just it's just a complex subject and a very complicated thing to uh, grapple with. And um, uh, I think you have a lot of experience with writing because usually when we watch or play something, you're the one who points out good or bad examples of uh, writing and you probably like have a better hold of the mechanics of that and how it works. Whereas with me, I usually just have a gut feeling and I don't really exactly know what makes it good or bad and I'm trying to get better and I got much better this year just because I played a lot more games, but... Um, I don't know where we start. Um, I think it's 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 maybe important to point out first that there's two people here, maybe me even more so, that are very picky about this subject, and I, maybe even to the degree that it's gonna um, offend some people with because I think there's very very little good writing in video games, and that starts with dialogue, but storytelling as a whole, and I think that's a big problem because. 
people have different standards and they think that a lot of games have good stories and good writing that I would never even consider anywhere near uh, uh, my, like I wouldn't watch a TV show or, or, or a movie that tell this kind of story or with these kind of characters. And so I just want to prepare people for the fact that we're going to be very picky with, with, with the, <laughs> how we sort of dissect this, this subject. And, and since you asked like, what is the, um, what is a good place to start? I think a good place to start would be something like the last of us too, both because we ha- haven't mentioned it yet. We both played it this year. We haven't mentioned it as one of our top games and for me, it's a difficult, it's it's a complex reason why I'm not including it. None of my issues with the game really have to do with its writing. Well, maybe they have to do with the storytelling and with the moral aspects of it or with the, the, the detours or the, the, the problematic aspects, I think, uh, that the game has in terms of its, its characters and its storytelling and its the sort of issues it tries to explore. But also, there is something that this, there is a message here that we're, we're meant to get from, from the last of us too. And that is, that is the one thing I have problems with. But if you look, if you look at the, the dialogue, for example, like dialogue writing, when we say writing, we don't only mean like dialogue, right? We mean a lot of other things, but if you look at something like dialogue in the last of us two and voice acting to include that here too, then it's hard to find any other game that can match the quality of what we've seen in the last of us two, because it's, it's almost all completely naturalistic. It's well-written. It feels very grounded. And it feels like you're actually watching real characters have conversations. And that is something that you don't really see in video games. And you don't even see that in 2020. And you don't see it in in other games that people talk about that have ha- great writing. You don't see it in, 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 in open world games. You don't see it in GTA or Assassin's Creed or Mafia or, yeah. or, um, or Alan Wake. I'm really sorry. I'm offending a lot of people here right now, <laughs> but I do not believe that those games have great character and dialogue writing. I really don't. And that's something that The Last of Us 2 has. Whatever else you can say about the game, and it wasn't one of my favorites of last year, but it has realistic grounded great character writing the only the only thing that i would uh, fault for is its sense of humor because i don't think it works a lot of the time i think that the humor often feels forced and it has to do with Mm -hmm. maybe and, and sometimes obviously the game is really concerned with its with its earnest subject matter and it tries a bit maybe too much to to, to stick to that, to that sort of grim, uh, dark portrayal of a lot of things that uh, of, that it explores. And then when it tries to go for the humor, I feel it often falls short. It goes for these puns or like mm-hmm. the character interactions when characters are jokey with each other. It feels more of like this very American uh, sitcom or comedy style that you see in something like on a much more subdued level, but in something like The Office even, mm-hmm. like you feel that the way characters choke with each other, it feels more stilted or more written, less naturalistic, more like it, they are written jokes yeah. or like it's this is how characters sort of have banter. Like it feels like banter that doesn't really match the rest of the, the quality of the dialogue. And that's my only gripe with it. But apart from that, there is really nothing that can compete with The Last of Us 2 in terms of just just the pure dialogue writing. Yeah, and, um, you know, as I grow older, I realize that I 
really don't enjoy that much games with like a ton of cutscenes. Like I finished Final Fantasy 13 in 2020 and uh, I actually turned around and now I really like it. But when it comes to dialogue and stories, I mean, it's a game that is just story and battles. Like there's not much else you're doing. And um, I kind of miss the CG era where you, you know, every now and then you have like this big spectacle of CG, which is Final Fantasy 13 was like the last of that era. But um, in general, uh, when games have like cutscenes uh, and w- like stuff like Metal Gear, like when when you're just, uh, it's not even just cutscenes, just like long dialogue sections, you can feel games being games like games being too gamey and everything like from from facial animations to like the way the characters move and and animate and like turn around and like these extremely subtle things you immediately notice them and my favorite thing about the last of us 2 is that every time there was like a conversation um it just feels natural. It just, it feels good actually to like sit down and just like see these characters interact and you get to like not just feel for them, but it does feel good, like on the quality of something that you would actually sit down and watch. And that is extremely rare, especially, you know, I I played uh, uh, The Outer Worlds uh, in 2020 and it's a Western RPG. It's from Obsidian, the folks who did, um, uh, I mean, the, the, the creators of Fallout, uh, the original Fallout, uh, also came to uh, create the, the Outer Worlds. And uh, they also worked together on Fallout New Vegas and, you know, Pillars of Eternity and a bunch of other, like, text-heavy games. And I enjoy the Outer Worlds. I think the writing is good when you get into this mindset of you want to game the game as in oh so this is the kind of game where you can uh, uh walk around and just avoiding fights for the most part by raising your conversation skills and let me play with that and my satisfaction with the quests and the story in general was mostly because i was into that gamey aspect of it more than the writing just by itself like the dialogue and just that story and all of that whereas with the last of us a game that you know does not go uh, uh the route of outer wars with um, uh, conversation trees and all of that it was just so so much better than pretty much anything i uh, uh i played and i feel like Playing The Last of Us and then playing all these other text-heavy games just makes me feel like we're still uh, far from having role-playing games, especially Western RPGs. Uh, they are the kind of games that want you to be a conversationist and, and, and get to advance the game by not fighting and all of that. We're far from having a Western RPG where you feel so so connected to the characters uh, and the world itself and your decisions the way that you or the way that I was with the last of us 2 and the funny thing is you you said that you did not like uh, uh the moral aspect of the last of us 2 which is also how i felt about uh, you know the story in general like when i finished it i felt like um well without without getting into spoilers i just like that did not uh 
uh, did not work for me at all. But just the moment-to-moment conversations and and acting and and just facial animations and all of that was just a league on its own. And even if you don't like the game, if you even if you don't like the story, even if you don't like what they did with any of it. Just watching the conversations, it's just a completely different experience than any other game. Yes, it's, it's, it's enjoyable just uh, seeing people and hearing people have conversations. Part of that is part of the performance capture, of course, which is uh, seeing the, the, the most minimal uh, fa- facial expressions and you see how people react. But, but some of that is also <clears throat> the, the fact that the dialogue writing in The Last of Us 2 for the most part, it just avoids cliche. It, it It is not free of that, but it avoids stock phrases. It avoids uh, moments where you feel like every answer to a question or the way people converse, it, it feels like everything is just using stock phrases that you would hear in a soap opera, like in a daily soap or something like that. Something that you would, you can predict mm-hmm. how a character is going to respond, or you can put this phrase into YouTube and you're going to get some kind of compilation from a, a reality TV show or something where people have said that over and over. Like most dialogue writing in video games feels very cliched, but to be completely honest, most dialogue writing in on TV is the, is the same way. It is not to the same extent, it's not as bad as in games, but there's just not quite as much, but there's, there's almost as much bad writing on, on TV or, well, even in movies really, but on TV it's probably the worst that you can find in video games. But I think the standard or, or the, the lowest lows of video games are still considerably lower I don't think you could put the kind of dialogue and voice acting you hear in something like GTA in a movie and anyone could take it seriously. I don't think anyone could take that seriously. You know, no one would say like, yeah, this is Oscar caliber writing or this is because it's not. It gets a pass because uh, uh, video games, but that's about it. Yeah. I just, Mm -hmm. I struggle with, I always struggle with praise for The Last of Us 2 because I think, because I really have an issue with what the game is trying to make us empathize with or who it's trying to make us empathize with and the heavy-handed lessons it's trying to teach and emotional manipulation is part of the game. That's part of art and everything. But sometimes you really feel it in The Last of Us too. And sometimes I feel like there's there's lessons that, without trying to go too much into spoiler territory, there's, there's lessons that the game is trying to teach us or it's trying to make us empathize with things that I'm like, I don't think that I need 10 hours of this to get this point. It starts to feel patronizing, mm-hmm. but I, I, that's probably another. That's probably a discussion for a totally different uh, topic. Uh, ultimately, what it boils down to is that The Last of Us Two is a good example uh, for a game that has excellent character dialogue. And name another one, not as a rhetorical question. Like seriously, can you think of another one? <laughs> no. I don't. It, it's not, I mean, maybe there is, but the fact that I can't come up with anything is just, you know, kind of like is my point or our point here is that it is rare that you play something and you get truly absorbed. Uh, like when, when a conversation happens in The Last of Us, like I especially remember when... Uh, when Ellie and uh, Dina go inside uh, that Jewish place, uh, I don't remember what they call it. Uh, it's a kind of like a, a religious experience or a religious uh, place for, for uh, Jewish people. And like that whole, like the, the conversations and everything, like it just feels so, just so natural. And 
it is it does actually build the characters uh, whereas in most other games like whenever something happens it just feels too gamey and and that's that's a, a problem that i have with just all kind of games like western rpgs japanese rpgs definitely like they they're maybe the worst offenders just because i think uh, even though i'm a big fan of japanese rpgs they're just i'm not a fan of the way they they tell their stories and they hammer their platitudes and they just um you kind of feel like they're they're directed at like uh teens uh whereas something like uh, but it's just like most anime right that is it is that is most anime writing yeah, yeah. It, 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 again offending a huge swath of people here but uh, <laughs> it's it's just exposition heavy and characters just dumping monologues full of what they feel what their motivations are literally spelling it out explicitly and 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 There's not even, I think, there's not even an attempt to subvert anything because that is the only writing that you will find in a lot of like um, anime or 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 JRPGs or those kind of like where yeah. there's no attempt to subvert or be artful about the way that dialogue is delivered. It is just very much like whatever it is you're trying to convey, convey it in the most explicit and unsubtle mm-hmm. way possible, yeah. and and then slap on a stereotype for a character that represents i don't know some sort of really clear character trait and then maybe wrap that around the dialogue to make it feel more like it's coming from that person but that's about it it doesn't feel like real character dialogue it doesn't feel like there's any artful exposition or subversion or anything like that and there's certainly not any room for us to fill in any gaps because uh, these stories tend to be so over explained and It is hard for me to, to even when I hear people, yeah, but you know, the, the, the actual storytelling, and that might be true. And the stories they tell might be compelling. They might be interesting. They might be new. They might be different. But if the vessel by which this is delivered is terrible, cliched, expository dialogue that is just full of platitudes, and I have a hard time enjoying that. Like, I, I can't enjoy it at all. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the thing is, uh, these things are sometimes a little bit complicated to talk about, but... When I finished Final Fantasy XIII, I did love the, the the story when I saw all of it. Uh, and like when I just sit down with you and tell you what the story is about, I think maybe you would think that it's good, like it's decent. But <laughs> the conversations, like, you know, one of your characters would like finally meet a bad guy and, oh, we caught you doing this and that. And uh, like... It's just very childish and just exposition all the way. And it feels, just like you said, it feels like an anime, which is not to say that necessarily anime is bad, but uh, Japanese RPGs feel like anime that is not um, that is not uh, for grown-ups. And sometimes that's fine. But, like, I remember when we watched uh, Fearless, uh, a movie... which is a, just a whole different story about how we managed to watch a movie together that is synced at the same time. But, uh, you know, when we finished the movie and the credits were rolling and I was just like, I was crying as if, if someone died. And, well, I don't, like, it's not that what I want from every game is to make me cry, like like Fearless and The Last Campfire, but I, I want to, like, I want to feel strongly, whatever the feeling is. And that is something that I just, very very rarely 
get. Like I played uh, 27 hours of the Outer Wars and I really enjoyed it. But it's not something that affected me. Like it's not something that made me feel more so than it was It was a lot of fun to grapple with those mechanics. Um, um, and I have one example from, uh, from the Outer Wars. I remember I was like... Um, Uh, just got to a new city and I was walking and I saw like uh, a woman, like an old woman, like kind of like crying or wailing. And I went and she said, you know, my son is lost. And I immediately thought, ah, Jesus, like she, she, she wants me to just go <laughs> and find her son. And here's the thing, they did something interesting. So she said, well, my son went to this other city and it's by those deserters and um, like my kid, you know, I want my kid. So... I, I went, I explored the planet, took me some time. And when I finally reached that uh, town with the deserters, her kid is a 40-year-old man. And, and like that by itself was very interesting that uh, clearly she only has him in, in her life. And through my, and like in, in Outer Wars, you have like lying and intimidation and uh, persuasion. And uh, if you use one of them, you could like, I think if you intimidate him, you could make him go back to the city where his mother is and be with her. And you could um, just persuade him. Like if you don't have enough intimidation points, but you have persuasion, you could persuade him to just give you his ring and you could take the ring to the mother. Whereas if you intimidate him and he goes back and you go back to that town, the mother is going to thank you. She's going to give you, you know, whatever, XP, money. And then you can talk to the character and you can tell him, you know, That's it. Uh, I'm done with you. You can go back to your city. So uh, playing with those, like, with those mechanics when you have all these different conversation skills, it's a lot of fun. And you can see some subversion in uh, the quests the same way Obsidian did here with the mom because I think they want you to think, ah, that's another fetch quest. Like, this is awful. And then you go and you'll be surprised. But, and a lot of it is, is really fun. It's really interesting when it comes to gameplay mechanics and and branching storylines but nothing that nothing that affects me deeply the way maybe that I want to be affected by like if I want to play 27 hours like 50 hours um if you invest that amount of time in a TV show <laughs> like if you, if you watch the six feet under uh like the HBO show uh, it's probably gonna take you something like 60 hours and by the end of it you're just gonna be like like a gonna be hit by a train of emotions but that's not our experiences with games even when we spend that amount amount of time and it's not just about you know uh, tearing up or, or crying it's 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 about something deeper than that it's it, it usually like games with so much text just feel gamey just too gamey and and and, and not 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 something And that's something like a book, for example. Like uh, books probably have much less text. Like your your uh, typical novel has much less text than a Western RPG. Yet not a single Western RPG that I played comes close to any uh, of the books that I that I've read. And you know, I'm, 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 I'm like even the kind of books that I read are just you know just 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 regular books, like not not the great ones I'm talking about. So that's that's something that. Video games just are not up there yet. They're, they simply are not. And sometimes, you know, you say that, I wonder if, if, if something like that is attainable or if it's worth going for that. Because 
when you write a novel, you read any, you read classic literature, any of the great works, and everything is very controlled, right? Everything is under the writer's control. And you have a, a string of things happening that you know exactly when what is happening. And the writer has the development of every character and the happenings from moment to moment is completely under their control. But if you look at the type of game that we're talking about right now, like an open world game that does not exist. You tell these really small, many bite-sized stories. And even then you're not in, you're not in charge of the pacing. You don't know what the player is going to do from one moment to the next. The player can walk up to a character and he can get a quest and it might be something very uh, emotional or something that affects him, but he can just deny that quest or just walk past the character. And then you're not in control of the pacing anymore. Or say you accept you, you walk up to a person and you actually find what they say to you deeply affecting. And then you say, okay, I'm going to do this quest now. And I'm going to, I'm just to make, I, I haven't played Outer World, so I don't know, but I'm just going to say, okay, I'm going to save this character's son or whatever it is. And I'll go out. But then on the way there, I see, I see some treasure chests or whatever, and I'm going to go loot them. And then I'm going to get involved with this gang and I'm going to shoot them. And then there's some comedy happening. And then there's this, oh yeah, and I'm supposed to rescue the students. Like, yeah. In terms of the the actual writing that is happening, you've lost that. So that's something you probably can't attain. So you, as a writer, is it worth trying to cling to that, uh, this traditional idea of pacing your stories or, 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 because you're not in charge. The player is in charge, right? The player is in charge of how the story is dispensed in a game like that. Whereas you have something like The Last of Us 2 and... Where the game is, for the most part, in charge, maybe to a degree, that's also where the game breaks for me, like in terms of storytelling, where how much of it is player agency and how much of it is is just a writer forcing their point of view where I, as the player, should have more agency. So maybe that's something that games cannot achieve. Maybe games cannot tell those kinds of stories that uh, that are going to be affecting in this way. And yet I still want to mention a an example of a game that that I mentioned before that I think has great dialogue, has funny dialogue, has affecting dialogue that I would put up there with some of the greatest writing in video games. And and then some people are maybe gonna gonna raise their eyebrows or say, like, what the hell is this guy talking about? But uh that's a short hike. And I think a short hike has excellent dialogue and it has dialogue that works, that is at no point is it cheesy, at no point is it trying to do anything that um that it can't and it's it's unpretentious. It's not about exposition. It's not about characters plainly stating their motivations or it is just sincere character writing. And there's not much in the way of interaction, like of deep relationships forming, but it's the way that you talk to char- characters and the way they talk to you. It's very, very simple. And it tells really simple stories. It feels sincere because you can tell it, com- it comes from a place of... Sincerity. You can tell it comes from a place of someone trying to write both what he knows and things that affect him. And it's written with a really specific style. It has a hold on the tone of the characters and of the world that a lot of games don't. Like, especially open world games and RPGs, they wildly, they go all over the place with yeah. tone, right? They, yeah. they're, uh, and you can obviously have comedy and drama and everything, but a lot of the time, even that tone shifts so much in uh, your regular Western RPG that sometimes it just feels charring. You're not sure. Maybe there's different writers. And <clears throat> so maybe this struggle of trying to pace a story and keeping a tone consistent is just 
impossible. Maybe we should try different stories that are more environmental storytelling, like we um, like to say, than about just character dialogue, which remove player agency most most of the time anyway, and we have no control over the pacing of how this is delivered. Maybe there's just not maybe it's just not the right way to tell stories in games. Period, and we were always on the wrong track. This was never going to work. Yeah, I think uh, I think especially in Western RPGs, um, and I singled them out because you know Western RPGs, not all of them, but a lot of them, uh, want to give you that power. Like uh, I didn't play a lot of Mass Effect, but I remember it was there where you can. Uh, raise your uh, conversation skills and and uh, like select different kind of like conversation trees and I feel like for those kind of games uh, maybe you need you actually need like suspension of disbelief just to like um, get in the mood of this just big world with so many different paths and uh, like which path like which path is the default one which we as developers should we put the most time into and make it just you know super believable and everything and 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 the other paths maybe are going to suffer or like i th- i think it's very very difficult to have uh, a mass of western rpg uh, like Outer Worlds, uh, funny. What's not? I think Outer Worlds is not considered massive, uh, but I think like you know you have companions, and one of the companions had something like like forty thousand lines, and that's just one character in the game. And like I finished her quest, I saw all of it, and maybe when you have these many people and quests and stories and side stories that you want to tell, maybe it's simply unattainable to do something uh, the caliber of uh, The Last of Us 2 and how just natural it feels. Uh, And I think like when I I realized or I noticed that when I play a game like Outer Worlds or now Fallout New Vegas, you kind of have to, that that term again, you have to suspense your disbelief and just buy into it. You know, it's going to, it's going to require more effort from you to buy into just the conceit, just buy into the, the, the bad character models in the case of uh, Fallout New Vegas uh, and uh, sometimes tilted dialogue and like the very, very gamey feel and uh, how you're directing the game. And when I played Outer Wars with that mindset and that, you know, I'm here for the game. I just want to see how I can control uh, these conversations and how I can control these quests. And um, I think what's interesting also about Outer Worlds is that you can kill literally everyone in the game. I think I think only two people you cannot kill to advance like the main story. Like you can kill ev- like a- any quest giver, like anyone. You can go just to towns and kill every single person and make everyone hate you. And everyone's going to comment on that. And, you know, uh, I also remember the Outer Worlds started... Um, well, I, I, I killed uh, like a marauder. He's kind of like a gang member. And I looted him. I, I took his armor and I dressed as, as that armor and I went inside the city. And a lot of the people were commenting on like, like why are you dressed as a marauder? Or they addressed me as like a, like one of those uh, gang members. And then I have to persuade them that I'm not. And then I realized, well, I can just take that off. And well, Fallout New Vegas also uh, does that. So... Playing with this kind of system is fun and parts of Outer Wars did affect me and uh, especially when I did things I didn't realize were shitty and only by the end of the game I realized, oh, actually that that was really bad, like I shouldn't have done that. That made me realize that, well, it's fun, like 
playing that is really fun, but it does not touch me uh, as deeply as I maybe want or expect or hope for at least. Uh, so it's not to say that, you know, I was playing 27 hours of Afterwards and hating it. Of course not. Like I, I surprisingly liked it. It's, it's a really small um, Western RPG by by the standards of the genre. And a lot of people actually don't like that. They don't like that it's smaller and they don't like that it's not an open world. You just, it's kind of like Mass Effect in that regard. And I like that thing. Uh, uh, I like all, all of those things, how small it is, how um, it kind of linear the main story is. It, it just does not, does not waste time at all. Uh, so I had a good time with it, but the writing is just... Just does not does not does not deliver what you would hope for, and I you know I finished the game. I thought to myself, I like this game, I like like what what what, what everything led to, but there is something missing, and I don't know what that thing is. And then you know, uh, I remember that a lot of people told me that Outer Wars is better than New Vegas in every way except for the story and the quest. So that's why I'm trying to play in New Vegas now. But um, I think I am going to struggle to find a Western or CRPG that gives me what I want when it comes to uh, story and characters. Uh, for some reason, I just don't don't mesh well with all these things that people um, consider uh, great or have uh, great writing. I think that maybe the kind of writing that I prefer for a game that is non-linear is what you get in something like Hollow Knight. It's not so much about... Hollow Knight actually has a, a fairly deep lore that spans centuries and many different species and kingdoms and all sorts of things. And in order to appreciate the story, you have to pay tremendous attention to everything that is around you in Hollow Knight. Because Hollow Knight has very artful writing. It has beautiful dialogue. It has... For that alone, I think it stands out, and it's not talked about enough. I think it's talked about it's talked about a lot in the community itself, in the Hollow Knight community. There's a lot of videos about the the lore. There's a there's a, a wiki and everything, but we don't talk about the quality of the writing of Hollow Knight, and I think it, the game is really underappreciated for that because it is tremendously well written. It is just very, very, very ambiguous. It's not ambiguous in a way that maybe like a David Lynch movie might be or something. It's more like piecing everything together. That is your job. And I think exploring a world and finding the story that the world tells you, this is what would happen to you. If you live through the story that the knight lives through, or if you go on that adventure, this is how you would experience that story. You wouldn't have characters just dispensing the story to you or have cutscenes where every where all the exposition is given to you. You would have bits and pieces of characters telling their own little stories or a, a little bit of environmental storytelling here. And there's actually a ton of of of, of writing of text in this game that that tells you a beautiful story of a fallen kingdom that is actually quite touching and quite interesting on a lot of levels that is not it's not as simple as it might look on the surface and and i think maybe that kind of writing is just ideal for sort of a non-linear metroidvania slash open world game that cannot and shouldn't tell a linear story but the pacing should be how you put together that story in your head and now um playing the game for a second time and having watched playthroughs and having uh, like read up more in it, I find it immensely rewarding 
piecing together the story again or understanding so much more of it. And I I have deep respect for uh, uh, for Team Cherry and for them writing the kind of story that they know for a fact very few people will understand, very few people will piece together. And you might not even be able to after one playthrough, you might not be able to unless you go out of your way of really, really making sense of all the different pieces. And I have tremendous respect for that because they don't, they, they, they know that there's enough that it's going to uh, resonate with a lot of people, even though they might not completely understand what's going on, but it's still beautiful, uh, beautifully written, a lot of, a lot of cryptic stuff that sounds very cryptic on if, if you don't know what it's about. Yeah. So for me, I, I would rather take this just, just well-written dialogue and text that just reads beautifully. That is frankly, a lot of the time poetic. There's actually, there, there's, there's a few poems in the game that were written specifically from the point of view of specific characters that are just beautiful and and you sort of have to try and figure out what does this all mean? Can you piece together the story of a lost kingdom uh, from all of this text? I would much rather have that than being beaten over the head with a story that might not interest me in the first place or that is not well written and that is not interesting. Yeah. And, you know, funny, it comes to mind. I mean, I want to talk about Metroid Prime 1 and 2, but I want to start with 3 because 3 starts famously by that awful just exposition, just characters talking and chatting with you. And like when I replayed the game last year, it was just really jarring to play a Metroid Prime game where people talk to you. And the funny thing is like every dialogue is just mediocre to bad. And you just want those like one and a half hours to just go by quickly. But then you start playing Metroid Prime as Metroid Prime, which is you scan uh, environments and enemies and all of that. And the writing of those things is really good and engrossing. And you start connecting with the game as a Metroid Prime game, but every time a dialogue happens, just breaks that illusion quickly. And um, Metroid Prime is perhaps like, it's the opposite of Hollow Knight when it comes to mystery, because what you read in the logs and the things that you scan is very clear to you. Like it's clear language. You you, you know what you're um, reading and what you're getting into the more that you scan in Metroid Prime. Uh, and it's presented like the scans, you know, you switch to the scan visor and you scan environments or enemies or whatever. And uh, the text is read like in a very matter-of-factly scientific way, but it's not... You know, when you play when you play Western RBG and you find a letter and you open it, even in The Last of Us too. Yeah, actually, you, you find a letter and it's like it's like I do not like the write the writing on all those documents in The Last of Us too is uniformly bad. Yeah, yeah, it is really, and it feels like it's not written by the same people than the yeah. character dialogue for the rest of the game. And like you know, even like After Wars, Deus Ex, like all of those games where you like go in a computer and you read like emails, like those are boring yeah but metroid prime gives you like scientific matter-of-factly text but it, it is really designed in a i think great way it's just very very short paragraphs just like usually most of the time at most uh, two paragraphs and like two three lines and the point is that you get an idea you, you sometimes you would get like a kernel of an idea about the lore of the game like if it's not uh, if you're not reading a lore uh, if you're not reading a scan of an enemy like maybe you found like the chozo books uh, and, and you scan them and you read something about the chozo 
And now you continue playing, you're exploring, you're finding new rooms, you're trying to figure out where to go next, but that kernel of an idea that you just tried is kind of like stuck in your uh, head. And the next time if you find like, uh, uh, maybe an hour later, uh, you find another uh, piece of, of, of maybe anime scan or something that mentions something that you kind of just read. And it does not play the mystery game the way Hollow Knight does it and Dark Souls does it as well, like, that you're completely kind of in the dark and you have to piece things out because in Metroid Prime, it's very easy to uh, understand, but it is just like everything is written well and kept just brief and short enough for you to get a glimpse of something and then continue playing the game with that something in your mind. And it works really well. So it's not that, you know, we're asking every game to be The Last of Us 2 because I, the last the last thing that I want from Metroid Prime is to turn into a chatty game like The Last of Us. But uh, there are many different applications and many different designs. And like every time I play Metroid Prime 1 or 2, um, I'm just reminded of how you can present a story that is engrossing, that is... Uh, uh, engaging, funny enough, because, you know, there are no conversations, barely any conversations, even in Metroid Prime 2, where there is another NPC, yet you are into the story, you are into the lore of the game, and um, not not a lot of games make me feel, uh, like, actively interested. Like, when you play yeah. a Japanese RPG or Western RPG, you're kind of forced to, to, to just get along with it, but to go out of my way to actually scan everything, even though, you know, I'm not doing it for achievements, I'm not doing it for to get a badge on my on my save file, I'm just doing it because I am actually interested in the world itself and I want to learn more about it. And that kind of solitude is, of course, it's, it's unique to these kind of games like Metroid Prime, Hollow Knight, Dark Souls, and uh, that is one way you can, you can uh, approach uh, telling a story, which I find is really, uh, just really... Uh, interesting and actually unique to games because if you like if you if you if you scan like a chosen lore from in Metroid Prime One and you hear about like some some disaster that happened if this was a book or a movie or a TV show the next cut is probably to the character's face and you're gonna see what the character is thinking whereas in here you're left uh, to your own devices you're just thinking about what you just read there is there is no reaction to what you just read as as big as it could be and that is something unique to games and that that is something that definitely games can put to good use but of course as we as we discussed there are just uh, many also applications where it make you feel like we're just not quite there yet. Like, we may have perfected one way, like this, this Metroid Prime Hollow Knight way, but all the different forms are just kind of like all over the place. And I think oh, that's actually an interesting thing to highlight. And we actually probably should have done this sooner because I've given so much praise to uh, the writing, which which sounds like it's all encompassing or something with The Last of Us 2, but it's not. There's a clear gulf between the quality of the writing of the character dialogue and then the in-game stuff that you read. Like all the mm-hmm. the, the things that you pick up, the notes, the, the diaries and all of those things, they feel like they're from a different game. Like in, in The Last of Us 2, it really feels like they're from a generic open world uh, RPG where you get these notes that fill mm-hmm. in a little bit of, that give you a little bit of flavor text about the characters. And it's funny because a lot of the time they are all those things that we criticized before, or that I criticized uh, in terms of 
being quite expository or they're just it's just the plight of like or how did one character i don't know lose their mind or break from their faction and then they had a fight and then this person got killed and everything escalated and it's usually these short stories that they tell and they're usually extremely on the nose and very unsubtle or they tell similar stories Mm -hmm. over and over and to me they stand in stark contrast to the rest of the game which does not really do that like when you have character moments in the game usually things are not spelled out for you but you actually have to read between the lines and that's something that games are not good at letting players uh, read between the lines so having this stark contrast just makes me think i don't know enough about who's writing what but to me it feels like it's very it's it's just in a different league it's just it's like it has nothing to do with each other like the lore stuff that you read on notes or locks in the game versus the character dialogue so it's kind of interesting to see that both of those things represented in a game because while I was, I found the cutscenes and everything compelling. And after reading a few of those uh, uh, diaries and things that you find, I just completely lost interest in reading those because they're just not well written. Yeah. And I think sometimes, I don't know if like, if I could stretch this to a broader point, but sometimes I feel like when game writers have a very interesting thing they want to talk about. They hammer you on the head about it just because, you know, like, look at us, like, look at what we're discussing. Like, for example, uh, one game that I think does it uh, well, The Last of Us 2 with the trans character, I forgot uh, his name. As you follow the story, the game does not bang you with a hammer that, by the way, this, this, like, he's a trans character and this, I mean, you go through an arc, like you go through a whole thing, but I think for the most part they do it gracefully uh, with that character. And like they don't have him, like they never have him actually talk about his experience as trans. Whereas I can easily imagine how when you come up with, with, with an idea for uh, this character in like, I don't know, Western RPG, Japanese RPG, like uh, any kind of game where like the writing is not tuned well. It's going to be really preachy, you mean. It's, they, they beat you over the hat with it. Exactly, yes. Really preachy. Yes. They, 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 they have to make it a big soapbox for like the issue. And, and, and yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Like even in that sense, it's, it's, we still have writing on TV that is as that does exactly that you just described this terrible thing. And so it's great that you have, mm-hmm. for the most part, there might be other issues with that, but for the most part, yeah, it is more subtle about that, like not sort of beating you over the hat with it and just, it's just part of the world and that's it. And and that's definitely a good thing, yeah. Yeah, so um, I think uh, like when I played Metroid Prime, I actually, like I rediscovered my love for uh, the world because I... Uh, I think I love it more than Super Metroid because, like, Super Metroid does everything well without text. Like, it it really doesn't need text. But uh, when you introduce text in a Metroid game, like, like on the on the on on paper, that is really scary because you're turning an exploration game into a game where you have to stop and read all the time. But the way that is done in Metroid Prime, I I feel like it does enrich the world. 
And I think you would definitely lose a lot if you just remove the scan visor. Like if, if there's a remaster where there is no scan visor, like let's say we're in a universe where people hated the scan visor and now the remaster does not have it. And I think the game would lose a lot because you just get soaked into the atmosphere and the world itself and the world building that they do through the, the, the subtle hints and the story that you read every now and then because you never read a Metroid log, a scan for... I don't think even more than 20 seconds. Like, 20 seconds is really pushing it. It's usually 10 seconds and that's it. Even less, five seconds sometimes. It's just, it, you just scan, read, and just move on. Uh, sometimes they like to take their time, like with some scans of certain bosses, or um, sometimes it even makes sense when you infiltrate the space pirate labs. And of course, you're in the lab, so you're going to like read a lot of uh, logs about their experiments. And uh, um, one funny one funny experiment I, I, I remember is when they tried to replicate Samus's morph ball, and they ended up with a bunch of space pirates like with broken limbs because they just could not replicate that uh, thing. And, and, and that is like, that is one of the very few attempts at humor in, in Metroid Prime. And even there, like, it works. They, they somehow know how to um, just uh, thread that, whereas uh, uh, in other games, usually writing is just it's just a byproduct of the thing. Like, it exists, it's there, you can, you know, you can try to extract fun of it the same way that I do with the JRPGs that I play and the Western RPGs, but um, once in a while, you know, I play something like Hollow Knight, Metroid Prime, Dark Souls, Uh, that just makes me feel, makes me see the potential of what games can do and that we often just don't don't get to experience at home. So here's hoping to uh, to finding more of that this year. It's uh, for some reason, I feel like I feel like uh, after Outer Wars, like I have this switch inside my brain where I feel like I am ready to play text heavy games, but I am very careful about about what I want to choose because I think just my taste is very different from other people. Like it, it's not really better or worse. It's just that I have just different, um, just different inclinations and different uh, preferences uh, that just differ from uh, people. And you're one of the few where I feel like we're kind of like on the same page. Um, but I mean, I won't find Marco playing Final Fantasy XIII. So Probably definitely not. <laughs> not exactly alike. But <laughs> um, like, I am interested, for example, in playing something like Divinity 2 uh, uh, or, you know, uh, Planescape Torment and those games that people yeah. uh, uh, recommend. And I'm very interested to see actually, like, how are those games? Like, playing them now at this age and after through my experience with, 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 with the medium and just other mediums. Like, I'm, I'm interested to see how these games uh, tackle it. And I am also actually interested from listeners. Like, if you have, like, if you think there is something, like, there are games that we're missing, if, if, if you feel like you kind of have a finger on what we like and there is, like, a bunch of games that you think we should check out, I am all ears. Are you talking should, in terms uh, of writing right uh, now? Because I have never had anyone recommend a game for its writing and it actually lived up to that. Because I don't think when people say, whenever people say this has a great story, this has great writing, it has like 100% not been true. So that I would be really surprised. Well, I think you could probably find more great writing that I'm missing that I'm sure is out there in indie games and all more obscure stuff. Because I know that there's a lot I'm missing there and I trust 
more that there's yeah. interesting stuff there than in triple E. Uh, because I, I I see what's out there in terms of triple A writing, and I I don't believe it. I don't believe that there's any half decent writing out there. So so that would really surprise me. But I would certainly be interested if someone says, "Hey, this this really interesting indie game that does something interesting with story and writing, or that is um, actually well written." I would be super interested in that because I still feel like I don't have yeah. Uh, I, there's there's a lot that I that I don't know there, even though I, I definitely play more indie than AAA, but uh, there's a lot I'm missing because there's just such a, a tremendous amount of releases out there right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think we, it's funny, I was going to say we talked a lot, but this episode was supposed to be like an hour longer, but we have to, we, we had to cut it just because it's, it's probably going to be too much. But uh, that's one thing we realized this year, you know, you and I, we, we spent a lot of time uh, playing and talking about games. I mean, we talk about games for hours and hours and every time, like we have a call where we just talk about games. You asked me, you know, why don't we record a podcast? Why we do, Why don't we talk about... Uh, all these things, and we already have an outlet, which is uh, this uh, wavelength podcast. So hopefully, uh, this year I'm gonna try to keep <laughs> a more strict schedule that doesn't uh, take three years between each episode. And I wanna try to have us like talk more about the games that we're playing. And I think um, I think one game that I expect us to talk about soon is Hollow Knight because uh, you've been I think you've been playing well. You're watching someone play it. Maybe you want to talk about that and how we decided to replay the game because I did not have it on the cards for me in January to be replaying Hollow Knight after six months of finishing it, yet here we are. True, true. We both only just played it uh, in 2020 and to feel compelled. I certainly do to replay it again just because I. Uh, it's a game that the moment I experience it again, even through someone else's eyes or, or in uh, videos or lore videos or, or in the community, Hollow Knight community somehow, I find myself being drawn back into that world. And it's a totally, it's, the pull of this world is just immense with me. It has an effect, I think, on me that few games, if any, have had. And it sounds so diminishing when I say this, but it's a complete package in terms of the art, the gameplay, the storytelling. Uh, mechanically, it's refined. It's, it gives me everything I want out of a game. It's, and, it's, and certainly the music, you know. It's easy for me to say it's, it's, it's among my favorite games of all time. Maybe it's up there even in the top three. Or I feel like this is one of those rare games that I can see myself replaying once a year or more than that. And and for a game that is as long as Hollow Knight is, if you put the time into it to really complete everything and see everything, it's it's kind of wild because I'm not the kind of person who just casually replays 50-hour games, but here I am and totally ready to dive in again. Exactly. Yeah, and I think... Uh... Uh, I think the only spoiler I want to give is that, in my opinion, Hollow Knight was the best game of this last generation. Like, if you wanna, if, mm-hmm. if we wanna consider it like as part of the, I don't know, uh, Wii U slash Switch and PS4 and Xbox One, uh, it is, it is my game of that generation. True, like true. No game made me feel the way that I do, and the way that it tackles open world and Metroidvania and just storytelling and just everything. Uh, I think we're going to be talking about that more once we're uh, uh, 
Maybe not uh, when we finish the game. Uh, I think just playing it for like a few more hours, maybe like 10, 15 more hours, we're just like everything is just going to come back to us when we will be ready to record just a full episode talking about what makes the game works. And uh, yeah, so um, that's it for this episode. And um, uh, thank you for waiting <laughs> three years to listen to yet another wavelength podcast episode. If you uh, want to, uh, Talk to us, uh, discuss any of the points that we discussed in this episode. Uh, you can reach us at uh, me, Mohammed, at Robokick, uh, R-O-B-O-K-I-C-K, and uh, Marco at Monomirror, M-O-N-O-M-I-R-R-O-R. And you can also follow BraveWave at BraveWave Music. And uh, see you soon. Bye-bye.